often say that designers are the most user-centered people in terms of what they create for and often forget about ourselves. So it's being able to really building empathy with ourselves and understanding of what some of those challenges and pain points, but also those moments to celebrate are. So basically inversing user-centered design and applying it to yourself. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community that elevates designers to become empowered, educated, and effective using EQ-based tools and practices. Designers, we know it's essential to fine-tune our craft in order to lead or create real impact. Yet, what most of us don't focus on is our relationship with the craft itself. Throughout the design process, we might experience creative blocks, burnout, overwhelm, or conflict with team members or stakeholders. Design to Be aims to change that by helping to grow your EQ, by weaving authenticity, awareness, curiosity, empathy, fulfillment, meditation, resilience, trust, and much more into your design process. As designers, we love to do, we love to create, we love to reinvent, we love to uncover new solutions. What will make these creations, inventions, and solutions even more effective and unique are when we learn how to be. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. For today's episode, I'll be speaking with David Hong. David is a design leader, educator, and startup advisor. He currently is the design director at Webflow and user experience instructor at General Assembly. He loves curiosity that leads to action and invention. After graduating college with a BFA in drawing and painting, he found himself gravitating towards design, which meld the two loves of art and technology. His professional design experience spans across brand, engineering, growth, marketing, and product. Throughout his career, he has taken on many roles, a founder, digital marketer, and design director. David hails from the Pacific Northwest and currently resides in Santa Monica, California. And today we'll be discussing the ins and outs of self-awareness, perfectionism, professional development, and what techniques you can start to implement to become a more self-aware designer. Welcome, David. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. To kick it off, David, so what does self-awareness mean to you as a designer? Really good question. I think the way I would describe it is being extremely introspective. And I often say that designers are the most user-centered people in terms of what they create for and often forget about ourselves. So it's being able to really building empathy with ourselves and understanding of what some of those challenges and pain points, but also those moments to celebrate are. So basically inversing user-centered design and applying it to yourself. I've experienced that a lot of times too, because we're so we're so user focused mm-hmm. and it's always like sticking up for the user. And I feel like a big muscle for designers is oftentimes making sure that they don't think about themselves and they are focusing on the user. But a lot of times in that 
mindset in that realm, we kind of lose sight with where our own mindset is while we're creating the thing of focusing yeah. on the, the user itself. I think we as designers are like many of us are often perfectionists, right? So you think about how you have to cover the gamut of things and really trying to be perfect at everything to be able to do a good job in applying user-centered design. We often forget there's different pathways. There's different ways to kind of augment and, and really build a path for ourselves. That's not in a bias or selfish way, but just something that's like gratifying for what we do in our design work and mm-hmm. how we think about our careers as well. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in that, that nitty gritty of like what you're supposed to do. And then practicing that self-awareness is this like coming back to, okay, what actually feels right for me and how should I show up in the design leader that I feel like I should be rather than what the design ladder tells me I, <laughs> I yeah, need to be. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or what have you. And at what point in your career did you realize that investing in self-awareness in some capacity was something that you felt like you needed to do or that you should do? You know, ironically, I feel like I've been in design for about 16 or 17 years now. And it wasn't until probably five years ago where I thought I realized that investing in self-awareness was really important. So what I was going through at that time in my life, it was 2015, I just left my role as a design director at an agency and really was trying to figure out what's next. So I decided to take like a personal sabbatical. I often heard it, people call it a distributed retirement too, just kind of like taking that time off earlier. And I was really trying to figure out what was next for me. And through a lot of explorations and taking that time off to really like be thoughtful, I never really reflected on like my career up until then, to be quite honest. So I basically put together like a journal of like, hey, what are the things that I really want to be doing during that time? And, you know, for me, after I think about four or five months of taking some time off, again, just acknowledging I was in a very fortunate place to be able to do so, I ended up joining a company called One Medical, which is a health tech company that I was at and ended up being there for four years. And I think a lot of that was due to really thinking about my self-awareness and thinking about the things that are important for, for me in my career. So like, try, like taking myself and fitting to potential opportunities versus the other way around of like trying to find a role and trying to get myself to fit in it. I just tried to flip it the other way. You also briefly mentioned like reflecting and things like that. And from personal experience, that has been a huge part of like my own self-awareness practice. Can you talk a bit more about what that like tactically looks like for you from pre one medical to do maybe yeah. that transformed it all to anything you're doing now. Yeah. I can, I can share a little bit about what I was doing before and, and what I'm doing now. So it was honestly like, you know, during this sabbatical time, it felt like a, like a 10 year retro that I never did, you know, like I never really yeah. took that time to slow down and understand why did I leave that job? Like, what were the factors Mm -hmm. that even wanted me to go elsewhere? Was it something I was trying to get away from or was it something I was trying to strive towards? It wasn't clear. And being Mm -hmm. able to take that time to think about it was super important. Mm -hmm. What I end up doing now, so we do this with all the designers at Webflow. We put together what we call a hype doc, which is every monthly one-on-one 
that we have that's around professional development, instead of just talking about like career ladder and other things we want to move, it's a time for like each team member to write down the things they achieved. And it could be as simple as like what you learned about yourself, what you grew. It doesn't have to be specific OKRs you hit. It's kind of a combination of that. But mm-hmm. I think that was important for us to kind of build this practice of journaling and being yeah. able to track that. Because when you look back in your career, the data points are no longer fresh and you're trying really hard. Cause I remember like, you know, I was basically looking at my calendar of like, what did I do? Like, you know, during that time. And I didn't remember like the impact and how it made me feel. So, you know, from that, I've tried to be more intentional about like, like I'm a big fan of bullet journaling and just really Mm -hmm. kind of tracking like, you know, what I'm doing. So really being intentional about each week, like reflecting on like. For folks that don't know what bullet journaling is, can you explain a bit more about what that is? It's like a sketch note system that helps you kind of recall and retain information. So for me, I, I still write everything down on physical paper. So like I basically build out quarterly accomplishments I want to do. And I, I, I journal about that. So gosh, I can't remember the name of the book now, but there's one really famous book about bullet journaling that has like loads of different types of calendars and to-do lists and, and reflections that you can do. Amazing. The question that keeps sitting on my shoulder is because I remember before I started journaling, I was like, that, that sounds like the most painful thing ever. So for, for someone who's like, David, like, I don't want to journal. <laughs> that sounds yeah. terrible. Even though you're talking about all these benefits about how um, it's this like necessary retro to help me be more aligned with my design path. Mm-hmm. I think it's terrible. How could someone go about it to make it a bit more approachable and reduce that like barrier to entry? Yeah. I love that question. Cause yeah, there are people who feel that way, right. Where it's like, it's, it's, it's not, hard to get that like yeah. time to pay for sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the recommendation, the advice I have for people is like, do what's going to stick with you. Right. So I'll give you another example. That's like the opposite of bullet journaling. So I actually have a Slack channel with just myself and I basically pull in and aggregate like just a bunch of other stuff. But as a part of that, I send an automated message to myself at 8 a.m. every morning. That's like, how are you feeling? Like, what are the things mm-hmm. you want to accomplish? So the goal is retaining information and taking action from it, right? So like you could go as yeah. like old schools writing on paper or like, you know, yeah. automating your self-awareness in, in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, understanding what works best for you. I feel like I'm kind of in between the <laughs> physical journal and the automation. I use an app called Day One. Oh yeah, um, and have yeah. and have been. I tried to use a physical journal for a while, but mm. it made it a very big like to do of like I'm opening my journal, um, mm. and that was a too high of a barrier entry for me, and so I found in the middle with this app. But I'm really intrigued with. <laughs> I'm like I might go make my own personal Slack channel tonight. Yeah, yeah. No, I I highly recommend it because it's like I'm I'm in Slack all day at work anyway, so it's very accessible, right? It's just switching another tab and doing a quick reflection. And it's like, you know, it's just a different way of journaling. I'm also like a huge fan notion, of course, as kind of a way Mm -hmm. to kind of like build out those spaces too. To shift gears a little bit. So we talked a bit about the, like the practices that you're, that you're doing and how you started investing in self-awareness. So now when you are say like two cases that I'm thinking through. So one is you're collaborating with your team or your stakeholders how has self-awareness shown up in those ways? 
to make you a more effective design leader and collaborator. And then taking the more like junior designer approach, say someone is crafting their portfolio or looking for any junior to senior designer, trying to get an interview or things like that and say you're interviewing them. How yeah. could investing in self-awareness help through that process? I'll start with kind of the the leadership aspect and, you know, how I tried to apply it day to day. One of the best pieces of advice I got from a manager at One Medical is they told me that everyone's bad at something. And it just brought me this relief that's like, you know, wow, even as a design leader, you know, there's attributes and traits that I may not be great at. It gave me that permission to just know that, just to practice self-awareness to be like, you know what, like I'm not very good at this part of the job and it's totally okay. And it's not really your job to be good at everything, but to enable everything to be done well, you know? And I think that's what Mm -hmm. really stood out to me. It's like, you know what, like when to learn and when to leverage, right? That was something that Kimber told me all the time. And I think it was so great. It's like, okay, what are the things I really enjoy? So for me, it was really, I really enjoyed people management, really enjoyed research. And I knew that was a part that, you know, regardless of what type of leader I would become in any design organization, I knew research was an area I felt like I could stay pretty close at because I could be involved with that. And then I wanted to think about, okay, what are the things that I'm terrible at to then like hire for people who are really good at it? So it kind of allowed me to really think about how do I build the best holistic team Mm-hmm. without me having to be honestly that bottleneck or that burden to get, to get in the way of that. So mm-hmm. it was really quite frankly, like a moment of relief for me just to feel like as a like leader, you, all <laughs> you can be bad at something, right? In fact, many leaders are bad at min- multiple things and being able to leverage that as a way to have you focus on the things you're really good at then, because mm-hmm. like, why, why would you invest all this time, on something that you're not so great at. And if you're not so great at it, you probably, you may not care about it as much. And that's mm-hmm. kind of losing, like you're then not being able to invest in the things you're really, really good at. So mm-hmm. like that was the realization for me. And then I think, you know, when I teach at General Assembly, obviously design's a competitive market right now. And like the question's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, how do you position yourselves in that way? And I think, you know, applying self-awareness for, people who may be early in their career is to really highlight that thing you're really good at. So like Mm -hmm. you may not be the best UX designer overall compared to other people who may be applying, but maybe you're really, really good at visual design. And that's the thing Mm -hmm. that makes you stand out. So you can, you can Mm -hmm. emphasize that instead of trying to, you know, be good at everything. So I think self-awareness is both like, you know, everyone's good. Everyone's bad at something like really recognizing what that is, but then like mm-hmm. really emphasizing those areas you're really good at. I forgot where I, where I heard this, but it was probably like a podcast like the other week. And uh, it was saying that growing up in school, we're always like taught to focus on like the classes that like we're not doing well in. So if you're getting like a B minus or a C, like really focus on increasing that class. Yeah. And that has snowballed into like how many people, how a lot of people approach their careers of, okay, wherever you're lacking, try to invest in those areas to get back to this equilibrium. When in fact, we all have these really unique skills that can help highlight our story in such a effective and profound way, where like doubling down on if you're the best visual designer or prototyper or interaction designer, or what have you, 
yeah. graphic designer. It can really help you shine when crafting a portfolio, crafting your story, going through the interview process. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. You mentioned that I think a lot of it's instilled with how we're taught, like in mm -hmm. education to like, hey, you're struggling in this area and you have to do this in order to meet this certain criteria. And it turns out, you know, life doesn't work that way. And in fact, it's probably evolving <laughs> even more where you're you can really identify if like not only like your career path, like at a company, but your entire career journey. Now there's more options and more support in the areas you can do that. So I think, yeah, I, I did want to kind of highlight, I think it stems a lot from like the notion of what we learned, like growing up in school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. So a question for the group, or this is recorded. So for anyone else who would be listening, if there is, and we spoke about journaling, so maybe, maybe something else, but if there is one way for designers to start to increase their self-awareness, and maybe it can be journaling, what would you recommend and why? Oh, it's a good question. I think one thing that's hard is <laughs> understanding how self-aware you are, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a good chance you might not be self-aware at all. <laughs> so most, pe most yeah, people think yeah. that most people think that there's there's a stat it's like 95 or something mm -hmm. percent of people think they're self-aware. Yeah. Um, but in fact, only like 15 percent are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, just going against the odds, right? There's, there's probably a good chance most people in this conversation right now could improve on their self-awareness. And I think Completely. one way I would recommend it is find the people who's going to tell you the things that you might not want to hear, you know? So uh, for example, when I used to, when I used to have my own like product consultancy, I would come up with these different app ideas and I would show people who just wanted to like tell me what I wanted to hear, you know, they're like, yeah, we totally mm -hmm. use that. So really go for people who can give you that, that candid feedback and really understand mm -hmm. like, what are the areas that you want to work on? And then you take that as a way to kind of triangulate your self-awareness, right? Because mm -hmm. like, you, you know, a lot of it's just data, but I do think like getting feedback from people who you feel can really give you that, feedback in a candid way, not saying what you want to hear can help mm -hmm. you start thinking about like asking yourself those questions. Like, well, I'm hearing someone say like, Hey, maybe I'm, you know, not strong in this area and I'm hearing it multiple times from people. Maybe there's truth mm -hmm. to it. Right. You know, cause Completely. I think, yeah. So I think, I think peer feedback is a great way to kind of start helping you uncover those areas to dig into a bit too. Yeah. Big fan of uh, any sort of coaching too, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's like a design coach or an executive coach, regardless of, you know, what level you're at to kind of help you unpack some of those things too. Completely. Yeah. Thank you. If anyone has any questions and they want to either type them in the chat or um, come off mute, you can go ahead. So I would love to know more about moving from one medical to Webflow and what you've learned from the switch. Oh yeah. Great question. So after four years at one medical, I, I, I moved on and I did kind of a smaller iteration of what I did before, which was kind of a mini sabbatical too. So I think, you know, for me, one medical was a place I felt like I could have been there another four years and I was looking for, for a different challenge. And when I learned about Webflow, I think one thing that was really interesting because everyone always asked me that question. They're like, it's interesting you went from health tech to like a digital product like Webflow. And I think 
it's different. Like impact can be felt in, in different ways, right? So one medical working in primary care, being able to make products more usable for not only doctors, but for end patients, like that felt like a very direct impact in that sort of way. I think the impact at Webflow is, you know, for us, it's like what we're kind of looking at is that that barrier people have with code in order to be able to express and create on the web. And that's that's a pretty big, pretty big mission that has impact in a different way. I would say the number one thing I learned from the previous role at One Medical and Webflow is Design really has to kind of be at the center of what can have the most impact. So for example, you know, one medical was uh, offline online. So like it was very ops driven, very service design design driven. You'd think about multi-channel touch points. And then that Webflow, you know, at least right now, like a lot of it is in the core product. So a lot of designs within that. And we found like taking what you learned from one medical and applying it to Webflow. So we've, we've brought in a lot of design thinking into Webflow and we've brought a lot of different mm-hmm. concepts that we build out service maps and, and think about the customer journey in that sort of way. So from you know one industry to another, it's interesting to see what you take and what you apply to that. There's a book I really recommend called Range, which is by David Epstein. And it's talking about how all of your skills in your life kind of it's not even about being a generalist, but it's about like how all the experience you've gathered really give you this unique perspective in whatever you do. And that's how I felt about One Medical was like, like just taking that and applying it to an industry. I, I didn't even know those skills would transfer over and, and yet they did. Thank um, you for sharing. Another question. So maybe a bit base, but how would you define self-awareness and what does that mean to you? You know, as mentioned in the beginning, like, I think it's about being like introspective and like really understanding your, your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. But I'd love your perspective, Rachel. Yeah. So at a high level, it's being able to see yourself clearly and objectively and building off what David said in the realm of being a designer. What does that look like? So it's clearly seeing your strengths and weaknesses in order to craft a story and craft a career that feels true to you. So being and getting that feedback or that introspection um, along the way. So that's the like condensed tight uh, version. Hey everyone, how do you balance uh, if the career rubric doesn't align with your personal growth goals? Great question. This is a really good question. Yeah, so what happens if you look at this career rubric and career ladder and you're like, I don't want to do any of this. It's a really, really important question. I I would say for me, like, you know, I can't speak for all managers, but I think when I think about like my role as being like a people leader and a managers, you you want to invest in people's career, not just in the role they're at, at the company. Right. So I say this with everyone at Webflow where it's like, for me, success looks like getting you to where you want to be long-term, not just Mm -hmm. like where it is at Webflow. My hope is that we can, like align as much of it as possible at Webflow, you know, while, Mm -hmm. while you're there. So I think having your personal development plan that is unique to you Mm -hmm. is really important Mm -hmm. because I would say for me, when I think about my personal goals or what the type of impact I want to make, you know, it's not just design leadership. Like, you know, I really care about education and I just started investing in like pre-seed companies. So there was nowhere in the career rubric that said 
for me to do that. But I think it first has to come with trust with you and your manager. So I want to caveat that. But if you have that established trust, I think it's really important to share like, as far as I can see in my career, these are the things I want to do. And I think what I hope is probably a pleasant surprise to a lot of people is that a lot of managers, like really good managers will be able to see like, let's say, for example, you mentioned to your manager, you really want to go into like venture capital or investment. It's like, well, you know, there's probably little things like being able to shadow board meetings or being able to, you know, be closer to biz ops and some of these app, like operational things that you can be exposed to and, and start learning along the way. So I would say the challenge I would have is a lot of people may feel like what they want to do in their career growth doesn't match the rubric and it may actually be more aligned, but it's really starting with that conversation with your manager to really share like what your long-term goals are. And like, you know, it's their job to figure out how to, how to find those opportunities for you in your current role. Amazing. Thank you so much. We are just about at time. So I'm going to close it at that. So first, thank you so much, David. This was an amazing first design to be conversation and really enjoyed reconnecting. It's been a while. The last time we connected Likewise. was when you were back at uh, One Medical. So this yeah, was we had great, coffee, great co- coffee near the Salesforce building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you're curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest Design to Be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.